This week's episode is brought to you by Dell Technologies. Dell Technologies is committed to helping students develop the knowledge, skills, and attributes they need to succeed in an increasingly digital world and global society. As a top provider of technology and services for schools, Dell listens to and works with students, educators, parents, and community members to deliver innovative technology and services that give them the power to do more in and out of the classroom. Learn more about Dell in education at www.delltechnologies.com slash K-12. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and the managing editor here at EdSurge. And I'm Nadia Thanes-Roledo, a reporter at EdSurge. Nadia, welcome to the podcast. It is your first time on. You are usually for our readers just a a name they see in the articles you write, but here you are. Thank you for joining us. Yes, happy to be here. Longtime listener, first time caller. As regular listeners know, sometimes we get out in the world, um, either live or virtually, and and moderate events. Um, And in this case, we are bringing a panel discussion um, that Nadia moderated recently. Um, So I'm very excited to, to... to hand it off, hand the mic off to Nadia for this week's episode. Um, Nadia, you were at, in April, you were at the Black Tech Policy Week 2022, um, an online event, which is held by the Black Tech Futures Research Institute. And the session you were involved in, this is a, it had a really long and kind of lively name here, right? Yes. So a fantastic name, really. Um, the title of the session I moderated was called We Need a Computer Science for All Social Justice Movement to Build Machine Learning Black Joy Datasets. It seems like the vibe of the event from from listening to it, um, maybe it was like the framing was different than than maybe a publication like EdSurge, like a lot of publications um, for a broad audience would might cover an equity issue in tech. Yes. So I think a lot of times when we cover equity, it's really depressing and kind of about problems that we don't know the answers to. But and people getting left out. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so this panel, um, they had the ideas, they had the solutions, they had the insight. And so it was really um, uplifting to to hear their discussions. Right. And, and I guess the, the idea being instead of like what's missing, it was more like what's what's there or what could be even more in, uh, inclusive. Yes. <laughs> in way. Yes. All about creating opportunities for black students and black folks in general to have success in the tech world. Give us a give us a quick preview of what people are going to hear, like uh, Black Joy, Black Datasets, Tech. But what is the um, what are some takeaways here that you were, or, or what what were you sort of excited about going into it? Yes, so I think um, one thing that, or kind of how um, stories or or issues are framed when we think about getting more students of color, more black students in tech. Um, it's sort of like, which initiative has funding or, or what, what is the one solution? What is the one perfect silver bullet that's going to erase inequality? And 
there is not one, it turns out. Um, so the panelists kind of discuss the, the, the different needs and how all of these different initiatives can function together. Um, but kind of dispelling the notion that sort of one thing is going to be the solution um, that's going to just mm, be the solution that's going to solve all of the problems in terms of um, helping black students succeed and get into the computer science realm. And another was probably the most techie question, which was about machine learning and um, building what the organizers termed black joy data sets for these, you know, machines that are trained on data to treat black folks um, more as people and not so much as problems or objects. And so that discussion was really fascinating and um, has a lot to do with just getting black folks in the room so that they are making decisions about these technologies so that they can serve them and not harm them. No, and thank you so much for um, for setting this up for us. And, and now we'll let listeners um, hear the highlights from this panel discussion um, from Black Tech Policy Week. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Um, my name is Nadia Thomas-Robledo. I am a reporter with EdSurge, a nonprofit newsroom that covers the future of education and delighted to introduce our panelists tonight. We have Dennis Schultz, Executive Director of the Blacks and Technology Foundation, Dr. Faye Cobb-Payton, Chief Programs Officer at the K-4 Center, Meka Egwekwe, Executive Director of Code Crew, Code Crew, and Dr. Nicole Howard, Co-Director at the Race and Education Analytics Learning Lab. So this is Black Tech Policy Week 2022, and tonight we're talking about computer science as well as other STEM fields. And since we are talking about black joy in computer science, I'll ask the panelists to share one joyful moment or example that you've seen or created to give black youth, STEM, and CS workers a future in an automated world. So we will start with Mika, then Faye, then Dennis, and end with Nicole. Uh, thank you. And thanks for having me tonight. Um, so I, if I had to think of an example of Black joy for me, I'm a professor emeritus. And I'm a professor emeritus that um, taught coding, uh, analytics, um, you name it, in terms of, you know, the, the life cycle of creation. Um, even all the way through sort of uh, a creation of fictional businesses that students can turn into life. And I can tell you, my joy came from the fact when I had Black students ask me, where are the Black professors? And I would ask them, why are they looking for what they can become? Because I knew that I was not going to be in the classroom as a university professor forever. That was not my goal or objective. And so in doing this, involving students in my research was very instrumental so that they can get research skills, so that they could 
have what we call REUs or research experiences for undergraduates, which are very important in STEM and computing spaces. These students have gone on and they have gotten over the years, not just full-time employment in tech, Several have gone on to doctoral programs in engineering. Some are now professors themselves. Some are entrepreneurs. And I think it's the ability to be able to let students thrive and create wherever they are. And so that's my joy in seeing this cadre of students really, really taking tech into their own hands and inventing, creating as they would have it in their own terms. Thank you, Faith. Um, let's hear from Dennis. Sure thing. Uh, and, um, you know, like the panelists before me, um, we at Blacks in Technology, um, you know, advocate for um, adult learners and, you know, making sure that uh, folks are upskilled and retrained to uh, receive those um, high paying technology, you know, New York City uh, wage jobs. Uh, um, but I, I think for me, the biggest part um, uh, of the girl I receive on a regular basis is reallocating the corporate funds that we received um, as donations back into the Black community. Uh, so we have, you know, I think over 40 different point programs. We have thousands of scholarships and grants to give away for technical certifications and training. Uh, makes me happy every time I can award someone a scholarship uh, to give them the ability to upskill and retrain without having to pay out of pocket. Um, but there's one specific example I'll give, which is actually a program that we funded for um, an organization called STEM Whispers, which is um, a startup on the rise, uh, which is uh, geared to help stem the, um, the um, school to prison pipeline. So basically what they want to do is make sure that those students who are, you know, on the margins don't end up in jail because they don't see the opportunities. So this past spring, during spring break, uh, we had elementary students, uh, 12 uh, elementary school students from um, grades um, three to six. Um, and um, we basically had a STEM summer camp and we provided them with um, some tools and resources to you know, create a storyboard, um, you know, digitally uh, with some digital tools. And then we actually had them come up with their creative concepts, uh, upload their videos to YouTube, and then share them with their friends. So they went through the process at that early age to create something from scratch uh, digitally that they could be proud of. And hopefully that will inspire them to want to learn more. So that's probably my most recent. I have, I have a lot of joy. Like me, I probably have thousands of stories, but that's my most recent. Awesome. And how about you, Nicole? Yeah, so I, I was all ready with my answer. And then I um, just had the blessing of hearing uh, Dr. Faye Cobb Patton kind of share her story. And for me, Black joy comes from being able to see myself in others as someone who's black in STEM, but more importantly, you know, so you get what I'm saying, you know, hearing her story and her now being faculty um, emeritus, and I'm a faculty member who just received tenure, but now me being able to pass that on and to, to sort of pay it forward. So Black Joy is when I hear the learners in my classroom saying that they can see themselves in me or through me. And then 
the next thing is they they now go into their classrooms and um, I hear stories about them increasing opportunities inside their classrooms and then outside of their classrooms as they support Black youth in thinking about their future possibilities beyond the automated tasks and, and using technologies in very nuanced ways. So that's Black joy for me is how we continue to pay it forward and support each other in this work. After the break, how past civil rights efforts can be a guide to increasing equity in CS education and in the tech sector. Stay with us. This week's episode is brought to you by Dell Technologies. As part of their commitment to transforming lives, Dell Technologies has partnered with ISTE to develop resources to advance digital literacy skills. Head to getdigitalskills.org to begin your digital literacy journey. Educators can dive deeper by completing a free online digital literacy in the classroom course. Dell can help you prepare your students to enter the world of work with the digital literacy they need to succeed. Visit getdigitalskills.org to get started today. Now back to the episode. So for my next question, um, research shows that AP computer science principles are helping expand and diversify the computer science pipeline. And recently, a $2.75 million gift has been given to support an additional 500 schools by launching AP Computer Science Principles. Is access to AP Computer Science Principles the only way to support Black students entering the field? If so, why? And if not, why not? So let's begin with Faye, followed by Mika, Dennis, and Nicole. So go ahead, Faye. Wow, what a loaded question, right? The only way? No. I start out by saying no. Um, I just want to I want to borrow from um, a report from the KPOR Center, the Black Tech Ecosystem Report that was released a few weeks ago. And in that report, what we found and we reported that almost one quarter of black students still don't have access to computers in the home. High speed, 5G, right? But even with that expansion of dollars that you talk about, you know, at this point, black students only represent 6% of students in advanced CS placement courses. 6%, despite representing 15% of the overall student population. And so not knowing where that 2.7 that you mentioned, where exactly that has gone, I think that's in school. We really need to embrace the out-of-school environment. The problem is, you know, how do you account for that in uh, course credits, graduations? CS is still not um, mandatory um, as a graduation requirement for some. And so the challenge is, is that all we're going to look at? I'd say not. I I would say to the esteemed colleagues and the audience and I, One thing that is very much observable is where are the computational skills? Data science is big. AI is big. Cloud computing, blockchain. Does all that happen in high school? Maybe not. But certainly the computational skills that are needed. And beyond just computer science, if we think about computing broadly, that could be IT, that could be analytics, that could be data science. And so 
We're also looking at computing plus some sort of disciplinary course um, or curricula around the arts, around psychology, around political science, showing students where compute is in their daily lives and how it shows up and manifests itself are really important. So I say the answer to the question is no, because the stats show the investments have been there, right, in the past for 10 plus years, but we still see these numbers in occurrence. And we reported that out in the Black Tech Ecosystem Report. Thank you, Dr. Cobb. And uh, hopefully everyone can hear me well. Um, and better. <laughs> um, and I, I uh, concur with everything that uh, Dr. Cobb just uh, said and stated. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's hard to follow up such, uh, you know, comprehensive eloquence that she conveyed. Um, I, I'll just add that um, in terms of us as a practice, uh, you know, Code Crew, we're based in Memphis, Tennessee. We're very active with respect to uh, giving kids and adults um, you know, hands-on training, but uh, I often tell people that we teach kids to code. Uh, that's actually not quite what we teach. We teach kids how to think computationally, right? that computational thinking is foundational to, to a 21st century education, that, that uh, the tenets of computational thinking that include pattern recognition and algorithms and um, decomposition of large problems into smaller ones and abstraction generalization. Those things uh, are not just limited to computer science. They actually positively affect them in other subjects. Um, but, you know, it, and to be successful to, to produce anything in coding and computer science, you need to do those things. And so uh, it, we, we fundamentally, fundamentally believe that every child in every school and every grade should have access to quality computer science education because what that's giving them is, is uh, access to uh, approaching problems from a computer computational thinking perspective. Uh, again, uh, it's, it's foundational for them because they're growing up in a world that uh, that is surrounded by technology. And if you ask any of them how much technology, whether or not it's increasing or decreasing in their lives, they will all tell you 100% flatly the right answer. It's increasing in their lives. Um, and so we learned about, you and I, all of us here and, and many on the uh, who are observing have learned about photosynthesis and electricity in schools. Uh, those were the realities, <laughs> right? And and now these kids are growing up in a time when they need that. And so, uh, but to answer the question uh, directly, as AP computer science principles, the only way, absolutely not. Uh, I absolutely agree that we need to be doing in school and after school. Uh, uh, at Code Crew, we, we've been in, uh, influential on the state level. I'm happy to share that uh, we just got passed in the state house and state senate a computer science education bill that not only puts computer science in every school and every grade uh, in Tennessee, but also makes computer science a high school graduation requirement here in Tennessee. And so uh, us and the CS4T and coalition were successful getting that across the line, uh, unanimously passed in both houses. Uh, that's that's also just a step, a brick, if you will, in the house that we're building uh, for for uh you know, access to quality computer science or computational thinking for all kids so that it's ingrained in them that uh, that being a producer and more than just a consumer of technology, but being a producer is is just a normal thing. <laughs> right. And uh, and that that uh, and then all these frontier areas that we're speaking of from data science to uh, AI to uh, quantum computing and all these other areas that, that where there are opportunities, um, they will have those those foundational elements uh, because those are those are uh, computational thinking is really um, analogous to having the alphabet <laughs> and uh, analogous to knowing how to read. 
today. Uh, that's, that's how foundational and fundamental it is to, today. So, uh, and so the, our, our kids will, um, as they have this in schools, but also through after school programs and through other engagements through uh, community centers and libraries, like we do at Code Crew around uh, around Memphis, they will have that foundation that that is uh, normal for them. And and I say all the time, we want to make uh, coding and computational thinking as popular as uh, basketball and hip hop uh, are in our communities. So. Uh, so th- that'll be what I'll uh, add to that uh, again. But uh, I-, I love what Dr. Cobb said, uh, 100%. So thank you. And I'll, I'll follow up and um, just add that um, the question of computer science or AP computer science specifically being the um, uh, the resolution to the problem, uh, I think is um, it's a little too late, uh, quite frankly. I think you need to start a little bit earlier uh, in the educational process and make sure that students have the opportunity to um, experience some of the technologies that could lead to those more advanced careers. Um, and in a lot of cases, what happens is students who even if they're interested in computer science might get steered by a teacher or a guidance counselor towards um, those non-technical um, roles or um, opportunities that um, lead them to a career and you know, something that they've always seen other people that look like them do like, you know, um, you know, cooking <laughs> or, you know, things like, uh, you know, um, you know, and nothing wrong with culinary arts, uh, you know, but there's um, opportunities that are being missed. And I think students uh, and the parents don't know to advocate for themselves in, in a lot of cases for some of these um, opportunities. There are schools out there that have, um, you know, elective computer science classes. Um, personally, I would like to see, you know, coding taught as a, as a language, just like you can take French or, you know, Spanish, you know, you should be able to take four years of Java. <laughs> you know, I would love to see that. Uh, but um, in, in a lot of cases, um, students aren't necessarily tracked for that. Uh, one of the things that I think could be part of the solution is um, more advocacy towards um, vocational education or um, you know, I guess what they're calling now is Votech when I was, you know, a, going to be a teacher <laughs> uh, back in the mid-90s, but now it's um, uh, Career and Technical Education, or CTE. Uh, those programs do have, you know, AI and machine learning and cybersecurity, um, but they're mostly white students who are taking those classes, and those black students aren't. So before, when you could go to, you know, a a vocational track and become a mason or, um, you know, a mechanic. Now, um, you know, it's more high tech, but we're just not taking advantage of it. And one one last thing I'll, I'll leave with is um, there was um, a reauthorization of the Perkins Act, um, which is uh, $1.2 billion, um, you know, uh, fund that will basically provide resources for those vocational programs. So the money is there for these programs, for these students. Um, We just have to make sure that they're tracked and understand what those opportunities really are and that there are careers waiting for them at the end of it. So, yeah, I'll jump in. (laughs) My response is the same as um, others. Absolutely not. You know, I think there are other opportunities in and out of of school. And my work definitely, um, the research side, you know, there are articles out 
more recent. And then I think maybe around 2019, there were a couple that came out in the Journal of Computer Science Integration where they compared the courses, AP uh, computer science courses throughout ninth through 12th grades in the U.S. And they looked at the structures of the courses, the guidelines, the different components, the exam formats, and really just uncovered that the depth of learning analysis that's conducted to look at the differences, um, specifically as it relates to uh, acquiring computer programming proficiency, um, that these the differences weren't really, well, they were significant in that this particular course may or may not, depending on the teacher, may or may not always prepare students with what they need in terms of transferable skills to actually move into those higher paid positions. Um, so it, it sometimes can make the course, depending on the teacher, again, a less viable option for students who are looking to take those skills into future course study or future employment. And so I'd say in addition to the report that was shared um, by Dr. Cobb, I would also check out um, some of those articles in um, the Journal of Computer Science Integration. Thank you very much. Um, um, so this next question has two layers. Um, in the first layer, how do we go about building Black Joy data sets for machines to learn about Black folks and disrupt the current data sets that tend to feature Black people as problems or objects? And the second layer, from your perspective, will learning how to code save the Black community and give them more options in an automated future? Um, so for this one, let's start with Dennis, followed by Meka, uh, then Nicole, and then Faye. So take it away, Dennis. All right. Well, this is um, uh, probably a question that's um, better suited for the experts, but I'm going to come in from the layperson's perspective because um, I've watched um, Coded Bias, and uh, if you haven't watched that um, documentary, it's great. It talks about the um, uh, data sets and algorithms and how they're biased against uh, Black people and people of color. Uh, and I've also witnessed, uh, you know, Cambridge Analytica and that um, debacle <laughs> and and what that um, uh, data set and, and how they were using data and managing data for um, the various reasons. So I think from my perspective, if you take... Um, those dozens of organizations that collect data, you know, on every aspect of your online persona. Uh, and you have, you know, people who don't look like you uh, managing, manipulating and um, sorting that data, you're going to end up with inherent bias in the um, in the data sets. Uh, I think the solution to that, obviously, is to have more of us in those positions to um, manage that data. And if we can't be in those organizations that, you know, provide the data, uh, then we need to develop our own uh, and make sure that it does have, um, you know, anti-bias uh, embedded in the culture of the organization. I, I don't know if there's um, a better answer I could have articulated, but again, from my layman's perspective, that's what I think could be done. Uh, now, with respect to the second part, um, I don't think coding is the answer for everybody, but I do think everybody should have a, a fundamental understanding of um, technology and uh, coding is a, is a part of that. And even if you don't ever become a programmer, 
if you know how, you know, those, uh, you know, Python scripts work, or if you, you know, know some basic HTML, uh, you never know where those skills might lead you or what is going to, um, you know, be that thing that makes you different or um, differentiates you from your other competitors for a job or, you know, just, just makes you more marketable as a potential uh, candidate. So, um yeah, that's that's my thought. And don't need to code necessarily, but do need to understand the, the fundamentals and how that actually affects you in real life. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree. I mean, I mean, I, I um, you know, I think about, um, you know, there's lots of algorithms for a lot of great ideas today that theoretically are supposed to make our lives easier. Right. Uh, at the same time, uh, the old principle of garbage in, garbage out is a reality <laughs> with these algorithms, right? Well, we, it's, uh, it is too biased, too limiting, uh, too lacking in comprehensiveness when it comes to the data that feeds these algorithms that are the AI machine learning, blah, 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 algorithms of today, right? That, that, um, that it is a very real concern if, if, a, if a self-driving car uh, doesn't recognize a black person as a human being and strikes it, right? Um, that that you know that's not, that's not acceptable, right? And so we have got to. Um, uh, I, I think the, the. I mean, so there's no single panacea in this regard, right? But but certainly, I think uh, a word in that sentence of getting uh, to uh, to uh, Black Joy data sets as uh, as we've been describing it is is to get more of our kids. Uh, and uh, adults into uh, opportunities where they can actually be contributors, be the producers, like like Dennis said, right? And and um, you know, so we we gotta we gotta we gotta uh, deep reach into our bench, if you will, to take a basketball analogy, right? Uh, uh, at the same time, we need to we need to call out discrimination. Um, there's no doubt that there is, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, the the uh, central players with respect to the tech uh, workspace, that discrimination is a thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, and we, we not, I mean, it's not like we're not calling that out. Obviously we are, right. We've been doing that for uh, hundreds of years, uh, but, but um, we can't take our foot off the gas pedal. In fact, we need to double down on, on, on that uh, layered approach of uh, reaching into our bench, bench, uh, but also, um, um, you know, Making again uh, with an equity lens, making uh, letting that drive the conversation uh, with respect to, um, you know, having the positive outcomes of comprehensive data. In fact, it makes the systems better. Right? Why why aren't we taking this approach in the first place? Uh, is a fundamental question I ask all the time. Right? Um, and then to the question about uh, about uh, whether or not uh, kids learning to code um, uh, is going to give them uh, more options. Uh, I agree again with Dennis's point that uh, that not everyone should be tracked to be a coder, a programmer, right? There's so many, first of all, there's so many spaces in tech that don't necessarily require coding, uh, but are still just as vital and important. And then there's so many spaces outside of tech, right? Uh, but, but I do believe that, um, you know, again, to the point I made earlier about us learning about photosynthesis and electricity, I can assure you that I am not a doctor or a biologist. But it was it was definitely important for me to understand photosynthesis and um, and it being foundational for human 
uh, foundational for agriculture, which is foundational for human civilization, right? <laughs> so um, these things that we, you know, this is the world we live in. So, so yes, everyone should have some understanding about how these things work. Um, and, um, and, and then the hope is that if we're, if we do that well and we do that right, that uh, our black kids and our brown kids will be uh, just as uh, emboldened and confident and, um, and um, connected to uh, accomplish uh, any and everything they dream of, just like any other kid. And so, so, um, so yeah, so th- I, I think that, um, that, you know, when it comes to our community, uh, getting, getting, uh, access to that kind of thinking, that kind of a problem solving is fundamental. Um, and, and that we, we can, um, you know, we can just sit back and see what our kids come up with because they always amaze us uh, with what they do when you equip them with, with opportunity. Uh, and I'll just add one more thing. Uh, um, we certainly need to pour on some capital <laughs> to, to these ideas, especially uh, with the entrepreneurial perspective, right? That, that um, uh, really in America, there's only, uh, uh, you know, the, the two pathways to power uh, largely deal with wealth. One is inheriting the wealth and the other is entrepreneurship. <laughs> so, um, so let's 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 put some some capital to invest in entrepreneurs, uh, young entrepreneurs who have who take these skills and and create jobs and and build uh, communities uh, in this 21st century way. Well, I, I like the, the use of the, the term or the word we in this question, um, because I think that's what needs to happen. I think Dennis alluded to this, too, that, that we need more of us, the we um in this work, building the Black Joy data sets. And I agree also with colleagues here about um, this notion of learning the code or perhaps learning the program. Um, it's a good thing, it's useful, but we may not everyone may not need everyone to code per se. Um, I don't know that that saves us, but I do think it's helpful um, in terms of us understanding how systems work, how they are still racist, and then what we need to do to push back so an, a basic understanding of programming and coding could be helpful, but I don't think it's, um, you know, I have much to say about that, but I will just, I'll leave it at that, that I think it would be helpful for us to understand it um, conceptually. And I think we can build from there. Okay. I'll be quick. Um, like Dr. Howard, I have much to say, but I'm going to make it really quick. Um, no, coding is, uh, again, not the issue here. Um, I do believe that what is fundamental is the interpretation of the data. This is not a data problem. The interpretation of the data and how it impacts the lived experience, which means that what our young people, particularly black children, need to learn um, that they're they're. There is context. And even those that are doing this work still need to understand that there's context. So small data matters. Remember, years ago, big data was supposed to solve all the problems of the world. Mm, Not so much. Pairing small data with big data, i.e., that means that researchers and those that are designing algorithms cannot strictly rely on their coding skills in order for this change and this bias to be stripped out. And so a large part of it, I think, is understanding context and understanding mixed methodologies so that you can invoke small data and context in the into the situation. 
I also think that design justice models are really critical here. Centering justice in this space is really important when we talk about race and bias and, you know, the data validation or the data sanitation process really is about training, validation and testing. And somewhere along there, we do not we do not do that validation piece. We simply go from train to make a decision. And that is that means that there are steps that are missing that impact uh, black lives and it, it creates biases. And so I'll just leave it at there at there for, for now. All right. Thank you um, very much for that. Um, so now a little injection of history. Um, so in 1964, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, launched Freedom Schools. It was an intergenerational way to teach Black youth and their parents, aunties, and uncles to read so they could know how to vote. So to fully democratize STEM and computer science among Black communities, do we need a new model of the 1964 Freedom School movement, bringing together intergenerational STEM and CS learning spaces with a framing of liberation? So for this one, let's start with Faye, um, followed by Dennis and Nicole and Minka. This is no doubt a Dr. Wilson question. <laughs> I feel that. Um, you know, the Freedom School movement with the, the interjection of intergenerational with parents, community, you know, that's when teachers and um, that's where teachers and parents all lived in the same community. Um, and, and now that's a challenge, right? I mean, we are not all in the same physical, I should say, community. That's what I will say, in the same physical space. Um, and so is a model like that appropriate? Is it um, noteworthy? Yes, perhaps. But I, I think what I would say to that, if we, if we look as opposed to episodic modes of addressing the problem and form collaborations um, around an ecosystem, because Micah brought up a really good point. There's the, the path to generational wealth, right? Um, being entrepreneurship. And I think those are, that ecosystem model um, is very important when there's very strategic think and partnerships behind how we address the lack of representation in tech. I guess I'm up next. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I've been thinking about this question for some time and I don't think, so SNCC was good for its time and it, it served a specific purpose uh, specifically around, you know, um, literacy. And I think computer literacy, I, I don't think it's as urgent for, you know, people of older generations to have to, you know, be as computer literate as someone who's younger in developing a career. Uh, so I think the focus for me and the way I frame it in my mind is, yes, I would love to, you know, see a movement of, um, of young people who want to be, you know, technically sound and, you know, want to, you know, move into IT careers and understand the resources that are available and they can, you know, apply them to, you know, those jobs that are, you know, white collar. Um, 
and, and it's kind of a cultural shift, but to bring in um, older people into that, unless they're, you know, um, looking to do career, you know, uh, changes and some of them might, uh, I think that, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm still on the fence on, on this particular question. However, there is, um, uh, I, I guess Harvard is paying a hundred million dollars or they're, you know, de- dedicating a hundred million dollars for, um, the, you know, slavery reparations, I guess. I don't know if they're calling it reparations, but, you know, I look at a situation like that and I'm thinking that that could be a model uh, if it catches on where those funds could be applied to programs that, you know, try to correct for uh, multi-generational um, systemic racism and, you know, try to, you know, uh, parody that, that um, wealth gap uh, with, um, you know, whatever it is they can provide based on their, you know, their um understanding of what their role was and how they profit profited off of previous generations. So all that to say is I'm not sure where I feel, how I feel about it, but um, if it's funds that can be used for positive good for the community as a whole, you know, I, I think it couldn't hurt. I, I think that there are um, some components that I would definitely like to see um, in schools today or somehow um, if it's not exactly um, bringing back the entire school itself, but this component of dreaming and how often um, children were encouraged to dream, to set goals and then to explore and uh, really imagine what life would be like or could be like. I like this, you know, thinking of Afrofuturism in STEM and computer science and bringing that concept into the schooling space, I really would um, be interested in more of that because I think we do, especially post-pandemic, we do, we do need more um, or we need better approaches to designing classroom and learning spaces for children and their families. It, it's a very fragile time for some. Um, and I think this is a perfect time for us to think about what these schools could be and imagine what they could be and how they might be different. So, you know, I, I don't know that we need to to go back and do things exactly the way they were before, but that's the concept of Afrofuturism, right? It's that we look back in order to look forward and to think differently and imagine more um, or uh, dream bigger. So I'd like to see that concept of uh, dreaming brought more into schools. Yeah, I, I like the point that was just made about, um, you know, really letting history inform us, right? Uh, that's why it's so important to to be rooted and you know never forget from whence we came, right? But but I um, but uh, whether or not that that model from then applies today, uh, it is a different world. We are physically uh, dispersed differently, uh, and we are digitally connected <laughs> in ways that we weren't uh, two generations ago in the days of SNCC. Uh, uh, and I think what SNCC did then was right for then. Uh, to the point that was made earlier, and and uh, and we can be inspired by that. Uh, but but what is the way that's right for now? Uh, are are great questions. Um, you know, we at Code Crew, at least, we have in practice engaged in quite a bit of uh, intergenerational uh, or two generational um, approaches to computer science. Really, uh, working with kids directly in schools on how they can take uh, computational thinking and and coding skills. And applying that to, you know, coupling that with financial literacy, how they can help in, in their own respective families uh, uh, 
you know, at least begin uh, these conversations or even implementing uh, ideas around generational wealth. And so uh, I, I think there's opportunities there because there's a, there's a bonding there uh, uh, from kids and their parents in particular uh, with respect to, uh, you know, uh, innovative ways to in, 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 to engage, right? So I I think um, in in uh, in practice again we can be inspired by what's been done, um, you know, uh, and you know we can do other, um, uh, but we need to do things in the, in a twenty first century way that uh, for the reality of the world that that we are in today, less physically connected, digitally digitally connected, and and uh, and everyone's just so much busier. So what does it mean today? Uh, of a model like that today, right? And th those are great questions to ask, and certainly I don't have the answers in one spot. All right. Well, thank you all so, so much for an amazing discussion and your amazing responses. Um, I'm so excited to have the opportunity to be here and ask these questions and hear res your responses. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week we bring you conversations about how education is changing. If you like the show, Please give us a rating or a review wherever you listen or follow us on your favorite podcast app. We're going to be doing another live podcast next week in New Orleans at the ISTE Live 2022 conference. We are going to be talking about the metaverse and what role education might play in this evolving virtual realm. So if you're going to be at the event, we would love to see you there. It's going to be so refreshing to be in person with people. Really looking forward to it. Thanks again to Nadia for hosting this week's discussion. And thanks to the Black Tech Policy Week organizers for inviting Ed Surge to moderate that session at the event. This episode was edited by me, Jeff Young, and we had music by Rowan Jane. We'll be back next week with more on the future of education. Thanks for listening. <laughs>